Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Happy Tuesday. It's Brian Davis here, co-founder of Spark Rental, and I am so pumped to be hosting Abby Goliar of the Think Realty podcast. He's the host there. He's also a national speaker and entrepreneurship coach. He has an enormous real estate portfolio, and he's going to take us behind the scenes in his real estate investing business today, give you all the tips, tricks, and hacks. So on that note, welcome, Abby. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks so much, man. I'm uh, super excited to go through the barrage of questions uh, <laughs> that you and some of the uh, and some of the uh, readers of your newsletter uh, have asked. So, dude, bring it. Let's make it happen, man. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to do it. <laughs> well, good. Here we go. I'm going to dive right in. Let's let's rewind the clock all the way to the beginning and let's talk about your first real estate deal that you ever did. So where was it? How much did you spend on it? How did you fund it? You know, what, what are the terrible mistakes that you made? You know, tell us all about it. I hated that deal so much. <laughs> well, uh, let, let me just say, I never make any mistakes. I'm a perfect pro all the time. And just like what you see on HGTV, that's my life. The most perfect. <laughs> I'm a prince. Did you not know that? Like you need to, you know, you need to up your royalty game here, Brian. Hey, um, what is this? A first anyway. date? <laughs> Now, so listen, uh, everybody gets, everybody goes to the school of hard knocks. Everybody goes to the school of hard knocks. If you're listening to this and you're a pro and you're like, no, I don't know what school of hard knocks is talking about. First of all, you're full of it. Okay. Cause you, you probably made as many mistakes, if not more mistakes, uh, than, than you need to. But listen, if you're new and you're listening to this for the first time, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to suck at something. You're going to screw up somewhere and it's okay. My first deal was in Detroit. Uh, how did I fund it? Um, that's a it's kind of a longer story, but we got a little time. So when I, I went to the University of Michigan, finished my four-year degree in electrical engineering from 2002 to 2006. The, in, in, in the year, uh, in 2002, my first semester, I like, are you, are you familiar with the Square Root Club? Do you no. know what the Square Root Club is? So my academics were so bad. I was part of the Square Root Club. And the only way that you join the Square Root Club is when you're, GP, when you're, when you, if you square root uh, a number that's lower than your actual GPA. So <laughs> that, that was ridiculous. So the only way that works is my GPA was lower um, than it was like, it's like 0.98, like my first semester, because I came in with a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, yeah, of course I dominated the high school. Dude, I was so bored in high school. I started a computer repair business. I was dual enrolled at two at a, at a community college and my dad's college where he was a professor at uh, he's still a professor there at Western. Um, and I was doing international and at the IB and AP classes and I was still playing soccer. I was beyond bored in high school. I'm like, this is not even challenging. Let me go do something else. And so here I am, I walk into Michigan, arguably one of the hardest engineering uh, colleges in the world. Yep. And I'm like, wow, I got this. Nope. Part of the square root club. Square root GPA <laughs> is higher than your GPA. And I was, I got to a point where 
this is like pre, like I had my Motorola V600 cell phone and it's like a flip phone and it had like the, a, a, the lights on the outside. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, and my buddy Tommy calls me and he's like, uh, Tommy, if you're listening, dude, you changed my life, man. So uh, he calls me and he, he knocks on my, you know, he, oh, I'm trying to find something to knock on, right? He knocks <laughs> on my dorm, he knocks on my dorm room door and here I am, I'm like curled up in a corner. Like, hold on, I'm like this, this is, this is me. I'm like in my dorm room and, and I'm like this. I'm, I'm just sitting here like this, like kind of reading a book, looking at, looking at, I don't know, some magazine um, or I, maybe I was studying for a class and I'm like literally kind of like shivering. I'm like right here. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? I hadn't come out of my room for days. Okay. I'm coming back now. I hadn't come out of my room for days. I hadn't eaten. I looked like shit. I felt like shit. And he's like, hey, uh, I'm going to give you a lot of books. One of the books is Think and Grow Rich, Acres of Diamonds, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. And I read all those, uh, all those books, the classics, right? Like, I mean, you have to read the classics. And that got me thinking. That got my entrepreneurial drive back a little bit. And it came, it finally, uh, it finally came to meeting two mentors. Uh, the first mentor taught me everything about entrepreneurship that I wanted to learn. The second mentor did not. In fact, he was probably the greatest gift, but also the greatest curse um, that I had going through my engineering college. So first mentor, we'll call him Mike. Um, he taught me how to buy and sell cars on eBay. Uh, I would go to, you can do this right now. You can go to search Tempest or Craigslist, uh, um, was it uh, for sale Craigslist and uh, find cars and trucks for sale and find like old classic cars. We would Put a purchase agreement on those classic cars with an exclusive marketing clause. So we would only market the cars on eBay. We'd, we would actually never transfer title to our own names or anything. Do it in college. It's like wholesale cars. Yeah. For a period of three years in college, I was selling. We bought and sold like uh, like eight to ten cars a month, and the average margin we would make per car was like seven to eight thousand dollars. So think about oh those numbers God. for a second. That's insane. Great numbers. Uh, yeah. And I'm like sitting here doing a full load of engineering classes. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, why do I even care? So anyway, long story short, I actually did finish my engineering degree. But um, during the process, like my sophomore, junior year, I really like I read all these books and I kept reading like One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch and just every single book I was reading outside of my academic curriculum. I was probably reading a book a week and I still read a book a week. Just nonfiction, straight nonfiction. Uh, right now, I'm finishing up Principles by Ray Dalio for the third time. I've read that book. It's an incredible book. Um, so here I am. I have a little bit of cash set aside, and I look to a mentor who's going to teach me how to invest in real estate. And I said, great, not a big deal. Come to find out, this guy was a complete fraud. But mm. that's not the best part of the story. best part of the story is it's sophomore year. It's uh, sophomore junior. I think it's sophomore year. It's fall time in Ann Arbor. And if you're not familiar with the weather in the state of Michigan, it's absolutely crazy. Sometimes it's raining. Sometimes it's sleet, hail, and snow. And I get a call on my Motorola V600 flip phone from my contractor. And he's like, you know, he's like, hey, bro. Um, hey, man, you know, we, uh, we got a problem with your property in interstate of Detroit. You need to go check it out. I'm like, well, you know, hey, you're the contractor. You're supposed to fix this thing. What's going on? So anyway... I drive after classes. It's like 9 p.m. 
I drive to intercity Detroit. By the time I get there, it's a full on blizzard. I can't see anything. I run over the mailbox, hanging a left turn into my driveway. I walk into uh, the family room. I see a shop vac and I hear running water. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Now I know what a shop vac's for. But when you meet me in person, I'm five foot five, 120 pounds, and I'm the best white collar worker there is. Like I look at a sledgehammer. I'm like, uh, I'm not going to pick that up. I go to the gym <laughs> exclusively to like do five pound curls because they're not 10 pounds. Like <laughs> I'm always doing things at a discount or like cutting corners somewhere if I can. Um, so I'm like, I'm just not going to do this work. But my mentor, number one, Mike taught me, hey, if you're in need of help, ask for help. So I go outside and what do you not do in inner city of Detroit at 1030 at night? Knock on doors asking for help, <laughs> especially if you're a short brown dude. And so you're so here I am, inner city of Detroit. I knock on a few doors and you, know, you get that not that right. door. This is not like the trick that I'm looking for on a Halloween night. And so anyway, I, I eventually find a neighbor and he uh, he comes over. We start moving as much water out of the basement uh, where it was flooded up to my eyeballs as we could. We couldn't get any water out. And so I move, uh, I make my next move, which is to the liquor store. Um, and uh, Jack Daniels and I have a really intense conversation that night. <laughs> uh, I go upstairs to the, second, to the second floor and I fall asleep there knowing that I'm alone. I'm wet. I'm cold. I have no family support because my mom and dad had no idea what I was doing at the time. My brother hated me. My peers are like, what the F? You're supposed to be in class and studying. I had a reputation of not completing my my uh, uh, assignments and homework on time. I wasn't a good like group member. But for me, I was just beyond academics at that point. I didn't really care. Not to say that if you're in school, you shouldn't pay attention. You should absolutely pay attention. Um, but like I got to the point where it just didn't matter, and I I was failing. And for the first time, I felt alone, like truly, truly alone with no support. And that deal, like I, I had a little bit of cash from the buying, selling cars. I got into a really big deal. I was trying to renovate the house and I ended up having to just wholesale the house uh, to, to somebody else. They took over payments, they finished it, they made a killing. And here I am tail between my legs going to class the next day. Did you so, lose money on the deal? I did. I lost about, Couple thousand bucks. It's like five or six thousand bucks. Which, when you're in college, is a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money for adults too, but it's a ton of money when you're in college. Yeah, I, it it really was, and that was my. I mean, outside of my academic failures, this was also like a real world failure. And I'm like, how, like, how do you trust people? Because I have a major trust problem. Um, still do. Um, how do you trust the business partners? Right. Number one. Number two. How do you trust the people that are going to do the work for you? Uh, how do you trust that it's a good deal? How do you trust the market? Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you do that? And when you're 18 or 19, who are you going to talk to? Some bullshit dude or dudette that's going to give you like a $25,000 course on flipping real estate, or you'll get inspired by watching HGTV or YouTube videos. No. Like, no, that's not, that's not what you do. You actually have to be in the shit and deal with it. And that's when you, that's when you learn. And unfortunately, I, I was dealt shit at a very young age. So as much as, as much as I created my own hell in that moment, I ultimately realized it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. 
the trials and tribulations, exceptional looking back. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned about real estate investing is that it's a team sport. You know, you can't go it alone. You need help, you know, yeah. from, from a realtor to property managers to a whole slew of contractors to mentors and partners, and you, you need help across the board. And when you try to go it alone, you end up uh, by yourself in the hood <laughs> with a bottle of Jack Daniels with a flooded house. You know I mean? like, <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it was like a handle. Uh, I probably should have driven to class that day, right? Like I should have walked it off. Um, that, that's the truth. There's no, there's no I in team. And once you figure that out, then rule number one, go find yourself a damn good team. Rule number two, hold on to that team. Absolutely. Well, so tell us about, you know, how you scaled from there. You know, what did you start doing differently? You know, what, what, what changed in your investing from that first terrible deal that was such a nightmare? Um, I, I realized that I needed to get OCD. Like I needed to I'll really understand numbers. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, Hey, I don't know a PNL from anything. I don't even know what a PNL is. Well, I'll tell you what, go to Google, get off your lazy ass and go learn this stuff. If you don't understand how to use technology, you're going to lose the game. It's that simple. Like for me, it was a combination of a couple of things. Number one, understanding deal sources and deal flow. Number two, understanding how to talk to people. Number three, understanding the numbers and under, and number four, learning how to use technology to grow and scale. If you're 75 or 80 years old, if you're in your mid forties or late forties <laughs> or, or fifties or like in your thirties and you're like, well, how do I use, how do I do this in, in real estate? Uh, use technology to grow in real estate. Guess what? You're going to be passed over by opportunities and lady luck is just not going to see you, uh, have you see your day because you need to understand the power of technology and the power of what Brian's built in Spark Rental uh, to really help you grow. Appreciate your the plug. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not even kidding. Like I, I've looked at it. I've created a login. I, I've created a login. I mean, you know, every every uh, program has its has its pros and cons. But like, I'm seeing nothing but pros. And listen, I love single family rentals, and I don't manage my own stuff, but. When I did, I needed the support of technology and I didn't have it back then. I didn't have a spark rental back then, you know? So anyway, th those are the four things that, uh, that shifted my thinking. And this also applies to businesses and real estate, because in my world, I invest in businesses and I use the K ones, the passive K ones to go invest in, uh, in real estate, either as an LP or I rarely do, like, I rarely operate myself anymore. But like whether it's a multifamily limited partnership or if it's some kind of deal that I'm getting into with somebody else, that's going to be the foundational core support of long-term wealth building because real estate for me, I might say something controversial on your show, but for Please. me, real estate is the slowest way to build wealth there is, but it is the strongest way to build wealth. Building businesses get you cash flow and gets you there quicker with money in bank, but you need now a place to put that and then you need somebody else to run the business. Thankfully, I'm in a position where I don't have to do both. So with these, so you're finding partners out there, like boots yep. on the ground, real estate investors, and you're basically serving as the money guy. You, you are not out there sourcing deals or, you know, overseeing renovations or managing apartment complexes. You're not doing any of that from what I've gathered. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're partnering with guys who are out there on the ground doing this stuff day in and day out, and you're really providing the, the funding for it. You got it. Yep. 
And so the flow of money looks very simple. Let's say, I'll use you as an example. Let's say Spark Rental, like how much do you charge for Spark Rental? What's the monthly? Is there a monthly? There is no monthly as oh, yeah, of right just, now, anyway. It's free. Okay, cool. <laughs> so let's say you make, I don't know, let's say you make a quarter million dollars in Spark Rental a year, right? Uh, with sponsorships and podcasts and stuff and then, and, and then the software. So you're making a quarter million a year and you don't have to use any of that. Let's say you have a full-time job, you're doing Spark Rental on site and all the Spark Rental income for you is uh, just, hey, kind of free cash flow after you pay taxes. What I would do is I'd take all of that and push it into a real estate deal. So the same thing that I do is I look for businesses to buy that are already creating cash flow and, or, uh, and, and have a high enough EBITDA and I'll take a portion of that EBITDA and start pushing it. I mean, yeah, you have to pay taxes. You can't shelter taxes. That's like the dumbest thing in the world. You can get creative, go find yourself a good CPA, but you take six figures, you take 100, $150,000, $200,000 a year, and you start moving it into real estate investments. I don't care if it's a single family home in Birmingham. Like I love college football teams. Uh, and I don't really, I'm not like, you know, I'm a Michigan guy through and through, but you know, I, you know, go Buckeyes if you, I don't care. Like I was recently <laughs> speaking at an HR event and I said, Hey, how many of you have kids that go to Ohio state university? And uh, they're like, yeah, whatever. And they all knew I was a Michigan guy. So I was getting a lot of shit for it anyway. And, um, and I just said, Hey, thanks for paying your rent on time. Illustrating <laughs> that real estate never lies, you know? And the fact that you can get income every single month from that, but you have a business, you have your main business, a spark rental that's funneling the acquisition of real estate opportunities. That's the sweetest thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. So, you know, for you guys listening, Abby and I were talking before the show, uh, you know, he, and he, he made a similar point. He said, you know, real estate, it's a, it's a slow way to build wealth, but it's a, a strong way to build wealth and how, you know, it is a, it's a slow and steady way to do it. Uh, but it is somewhat predictable and you can real estate investing is one of the few investments in the world where you can very accurately predict your cash flow in the long term. I mean, not on a month to month basis, you know, one month you might have a $5,000 furnace bill or whatever, but yeah. you can predict your cash flow in real estate and you can predict your returns in real estate in a way that you can't necessarily elsewhere. And starting a business, there's, there's a much faster and higher upside potential there. Uh, it also comes with some more risk. Uh, whereas real estate grounds your returns uh, in something that's physical in the real world. So anyway, just wanted yeah. to, to clarify that, that point there. And, 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 and if you're young, if you're young and you're in your twenties, go start a business. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Just listening to information, like go, go find like a Shopify store idea, like Shopify store owners right now, like you can buy their stuff for like a hundred or $200,000. You can buy the entire store and they don't know how to manage it. They also don't know how to value the business because they're, they're just not savvy business owners. That's opportunity, right? Like maybe partner with them or figure out some way to make it work and then use that cash flow and start buying real estate. There's zero excuse in today's world. Zero. Yeah. And when you're young, you know, you do have a higher risk tolerance, uh, you know, especially when you're you know, not married, you don't have kids. You know, you can go yeah. out there and, and start an online business or, or an in-person business. Um, and, you know, if it, if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, maybe you, you, you didn't risk the farm. Right. I mean, you, you can always go back and get another job. You can always go start other businesses. So when yeah. you're young, you know, take advantage of that freedom because the older you get, the less your risk tolerance becomes. So, you know, take, take some shots while you're young. If they miss, it's not the end of the world. Totally. I mean, you know, you're, you, you and I are in our late thirties, right? 
um, when, when I look at risk now, it's definitely like the strategy has shifted, right? I look at now, uh, how do I, the first part of the equation is getting rich. The second part of the equation is staying rich. So the question right. is, how do I effectively do the latter? And how do I also continue to do the former? And the former really comes down to a couple of things, right? It's like you've got you need to you need the right team. You need to be uh, you need to be religiously OCD about the numbers in your deal. Yeah. You need to understand the people that are operating your deal. And if you're going to get in bed with them, great. Have an exit clause. Like you understand, have the uh, have what exit means in the operating agreement of your uh, of your entity. And if something goes wrong, hey, at least you can protect yourself. You have a parachute. Um, and now it's just a matter of finding finding deals that make sense, whether it's real estate or otherwise. Absolutely. So you know, let's let's turn a corner here for one second. I sure. want to hear because we're we're nearing the end of 2021. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on where the real estate industry is headed in 2022, uh, and that could be you know real estate markets. I mean, obviously, they've been very hot in 2021. Uh, it could be you know changes in technology, you know, industry wide kind of stuff. Um, it, however you want to answer that question, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about where you see real estate heading in 2022. Yeah, rates are going to go up. Uh, supply and demand, uh, it's probably not going to ease up until late uh, late next year. I, I can't see it easing up until late next year. Now, earlier this year, uh, the days the average days on market was less than a month. It's like 0.6 months NAR, uh, National Association of Realtors. Yeah, it was nuts, right? Yeah. A balanced market for those of you that are new is roughly about six months. So it should take roughly about six months to sell your house. Anything less than that is insane. Like uh, when you have, um, uh, when you have, uh, what's the big, um, well, who's the big home builder? My God, uh, Lennar. When you have Lennar Homes selling 50 or $75,000 above asking price, <laughs> They're cheaply built crap homes selling yeah. fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars a book. Something's wrong, right? Like then you wonder, wait a minute, it's not something's wrong. It's just there's not enough supply to meet the demand. And when that happens, then there's a really big clash, prices go up, and then everybody thinks, well, I can make any I can make a lot of money in real estate. Well, it's easy right now if you're a drooling idiot to make money in real estate because real estate's on the up and up. But do I expect a major correction? No. People will people will talk about oh well, there's shadow inventory on the market and all these pending foreclosures. So, it hasn't really absorb- Yeah, and and even if even if you took all of the pre all of the pre foreclosures that are that are supposedly coming in the next months, you throw that all in the market. Sure, it might increase the uh, it might increase the days on market from I think maybe two months where we are now, maybe one point eight two months to where we are now to like maybe three months. So great, all those will be absorbed because there's demand to buy that supply. Yeah, and all of those homeowners would then become renters and, and fuel the rental market in that case. Yeah, um, I mean, and let's be honest, we're we're renting the American dream. We're no longer owning it. I had a uh, I, one of my before I did the Think Realty podcast, we had the Think Realty radio show. It was a nationally syndicated radio show on the Wall Street Business Network. We were in 53 okay. cities nationwide. And I remember even then, three years ago, talking about this concept of, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're renting the American dream. We don't have to buy it anymore. And in some instances, it makes more sense to rent than buy. Um, oh, I rent. Maybe some additional- <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a landlord and I still rent my own, <laughs> my own residence. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, if I remember correctly, I think Grant Cardone does the same thing, right? He's like, just uh, I rent. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> something else to consider too is um, 
when I'm, when I'm looking at buying homes, and I've said this for now years, when I look at buying single family rental or even multifamily, I'm not looking at primary markets. Why? Because they're overpriced and the, and the, the numbers are, are terrible. The, the cash flow is non-existent. Yeah, you're going to buy it like a, like a four cap in the hood in Atlanta because everybody wants in, right? Or some family office that needs to deploy $100 million by the end of December needs in. Listen, if you focus on like, uh, I'm not like, I'm not going to say any specific cities, uh, Columbus, Ohio, as an example, or like Grand Rapids, Michigan, as an example, Kalamazoo, Michigan as well, my hometown. If you look at tertiary markets, mm-hmm. that's the play. Uh, you can not only find value, but you can also find the right cash flow for your dollar. A lot of folks will say, well, is $150, $200 a month good enough in cash flow? That's up to you. Frankly, the higher, the better. But if you go to markets where you might have to get on a flight, you might have to travel a little bit. It might be a little outside of your comfort zone, maybe three, four, five, six hours of drive time to get there. You'll still find value, but then that's where you don't have to self-manage. You, if you're building a portfolio, you can hire somebody. They can use uh, the Spark Rental automated uh, property management software. You can turn them onto that and just Don't help you build a portfolio. Hey, man, like I said, I've done this for <laughs> a little bit. Um, but you know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I'm seeing the tertiary. The, and if you if you feel uncomfortable saying investing in like the Grand Rapids, Michigan, or, uh, or like a Columbus, Ohio, or, or something like that, then go secondary market. A secondary market generally is going to be 30, 45 minutes outside of a primary market. So an example of that in Atlanta, say, would be Alpharetta, Georgia. Go to Alpharetta, right? I mean, if I were to buy a home right now in Atlanta, I would not buy in Atlanta. I'd buy in Alpharetta because I can get more home, more land for my dollar. And frankly, I want to stay away from people. And have I'm you, probably have, have you driven? No. Yeah. And have you driven uh, the um, have you driven the uh, the highways in Atlanta? They suck. Like, who wants to? Nobody wants to drive <laughs> in traffic. I t- I take the HOV lane. I'm in, I'm one person. Like, it's, <laughs> it's my express lane through Atlanta. Like, it's nuts. So, yeah. And, anyway, you know, those ideas. well, so to, to just build on what you just said, you know, first of all, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And we talk quite a lot uh, on Spark Rental about investing long distance, you know, going where the, the returns are much better. Um, you know, GRMs are better. Cap rates are better. Um, but also it's, it's not just about the numbers. Some of it is also about regulation. And the primary markets tend to be have very anti landlord laws, you know, very tenant friendly laws that make it even harder to, to earn consistent money as a landlord. And, you know, sometimes people interpret that politically. Uh, you know, obviously, this is not a political show. Yeah. We're, you know, I mean, we're unless, to get political, but yeah, I mean, we can get political if you want to get political. <laughs> I mean, um, I'll do it. <laughs> but, you know, but it, it does matter. I mean, this it, yeah. it does impact your returns as a landlord. And so I, I grew up in Baltimore. Most of my early career real estate investments were in Baltimore. And I had a terrible time with all of them because Baltimore has such terrible anti-landlord laws. And they've just gotten worse since then, too. So I actually I just sold my last property in Baltimore a couple of weeks ago. And we broke out a bottle of champagne to celebrate. I was like, thank God I'm done. I don't have any more Baltimore properties. Like, yeah, man. Anyway. No, and, and, and I, I don't think Maryland is a... Uh... It's, it's not a non-judicial state. Like Georgia's a judicial state. Um, Illinois, for example, is not. Uh, it, it is a judicial state, which means you have to go through the court system if you want to evict somebody. Um, and generally speaking, like if you even look at all what the family offices are doing and uh, REITs and funds, they're generally buying in only non-judicial states. Uh, it's very, uh, that means it's very business friendly for investors like you and I to go in and uh, make the impact and the moves that we need to. Uh, from an acquisition perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a property take 11 months to evict a tenant. 
And when I did finally evict him, you know, he had punched holes in every cabinet door and yeah, scratched up all the hardwood floors. Yeah. And he, you know, he used every trick in the book to prolong the eviction. But it took almost a year to get this guy out because he was a yeah. professional tenant. And, you know, anyway, <laughs> a bit of a tangent. Yeah, there. I mean, yeah, we, we, we could talk about that. I mean, if we wanted to go political, I think Brian would have to like we'd need to devote another hour and a half to this show. <laughs> oh, yes. Easily. Easily. So we, we put out in our, our newsletter yesterday a call for some questions from the audience, um, you know, what they wanted to ask you. So yeah. I've got a couple of those questions here that we, we picked as a random sample. So Ashley asked, and I'm going to paraphrase her a little bit just for, for uh, clarity and, and to keep it brief. But sure. she was basically asking, at what point should I cash out my investment properties? Um, she says, I was an investor for five years. Is it okay for me to now sell my properties? Um, and... Yeah. So what, what what would you say to Ashley? Yeah, it depends on the mindset and it depends on where you are. If you have a better opportunity, if you're looking at investing in a business, then use real estate as a tool. Don't forget money in real estate as a tool. It's, it's, you can, you can uh, sell it if you want to sell it. You can keep it if you want to keep it. If you want to go buy a car, go buy a car. Like I'm just saying, do whatever you want. That's going to make you happy in the long run. Um, but also, that will have a driving impact on your dollars. Uh, that's the most important part. So if you have, say, a portfolio of five or a portfolio of 10 single family rentals, Ashley, for example, but you're seeing a business opportunity where if you invest $100,000, then you'll make one hundred and fifty dollars or $200,000 a year in a two-year time frame. Hell yeah, do that deal. You're not going to do that in a real estate deal. No. There's no way unless you buy super distressed, you raise the capex on a large multifamily. Uh, you uh, you won't even be able to 1031 because it's not it's not like that kind of exchange. But like maybe you can roll over some profits. Maybe even do a OZ uh, qualified property acquisition in a qualified OZ fund. Maybe you can get away with that. But listen, if you have a better opportunity where you when you, where your money is making more money, then do that. If you like, I look at my SFR portfolio on an annual basis and I say, what's the, what's the bottom 5% and can I tolerate the bottom 5%? If I can't tolerate the bottom 5%, I'm going to move it into another business that I'm going to buy. Uh, it's that simple. Like I show no emotion when making these decisions. It's never emotional. It is only logical because you work hard for your money. Your money should be working harder than you do for it. Yeah, I mean, these are investments. This is not your your home, right? I mean, and these are these are just investments. There should be no emotion in it whatsoever. So, yeah, great answer. All right, we have a question from Brandon, who says, "What's the best way to structure my real estate investing business? Uh, should I have a holding company and be incorporating each property?" Uh, he says it affects financing options uh, and also relates to liabilities. So, what are your thoughts for Brandon? Uh, sure. Brandon, uh, I would look into either a Delaware or Wyoming LLC uh, from the protection and just being anonymous perspective. Both Delaware and Wyoming are great. If you want to stay anonymous, it helps with overall asset protection. That then should have a controlling interest in the individual entities that you set up in the states in which you're buying properties. One property per LLC, if your CPA says, hey, it's, it's going to be an accounting nightmare, screw your CPA and go find somebody else. Like say, see you later, really fire your CPA and uh, and go find another CPA that actually understands how to do basic accounting. Like it's not hard, right? Like it's just, it's just different entities owning 10 properties instead of you owning 10 properties. The reason you want to do that, if your tenant slips and falls and has, uh, and has 
uh, and knows that one entity owns 10 properties, then you know, you're, you're kind of screwed because now your liability exposure has just increased by the factor of 10, assuming that all properties are equally valued uh, to be around the same. Uh, if I'm looking at financing options, you shouldn't have an issue with financing. Like if you're going with non-QM, non-qualified mortgage financing, they're only going to do B2B loans, which means they're only going to lend to an LLC. They're not going to lend to you personally. They will take a look at your credit experience and cash to close, but they will want to have an entity formed unless you're going to Bank of America, Wells Fargo, in which case, uh, why are you listening to this podcast? Uh, absolutely. So I just want to clarify. So you are not proposing a Delaware series LLC. You're proposing no. having either a Wyoming or a Delaware LLC as your, your master legal entity and then opening up individual LLCs for each property in the, pro in the state where those properties are located. Yes. So example, I live in Georgia. If I want to buy 10 properties in Georgia, Georgia LLC, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. If I want to go buy 10 properties in Alabama, my Wyoming LLC will have a controlling interest in Alabama property one, Alabama property two, Alabama property three, comma, LLC. Each of those LLCs need to have um, need to have an operating agreement. They need to be registered in that particular state. They need to have an EIN and you need to show um, the ownership that's that goes right up to the uh, the main holding entity. And that holding entity, of course, needs to have its own EIN. You need to have your own operating agreement and you need to treat it as if it's a real entity. The problem that a lot of people make, uh, the mistake that problem, a lot of people make, two of them. Number one, you never set up an operating agreement. Stupid on you. Number two, you, if you need to have a board meeting or you need to have meeting notes that you have to take, then take them. If it's just a pass-through LLC, then you don't need any of that. A lot of mistakes that uh, one mistake a lot of folks also make is they'll just go ahead and do a straight S-Corp election for an LLC. Don't do that. The legal ramifications like you have to follow so many irs guidelines if you have an s corp elect llc that could be a little bit of a challenge so push your cpa on that i don't think you need an s corp llc until you're at least making a hundred thousand dollars a year yeah absolutely and one other mistake that a lot of people a lot of real estate investors make with their llc's is commingling funds if you do that you lose all of the asset protection benefits of having an llc in the first place so at that point yeah. you might as well just own the properties in your own name so do yeah. not mix, do not mix your business money and your personal money. <laughs> do, do, don't do that. And also the same applies with commingling uh, with uh, self-directed IRA investors. If you're a self-directed IRA investor, do not put yourself in a position where your, your transaction is considered prohibited. Uh, uh, big fines, big no-no. And from the moment that you engage in a prohibited transaction, let's say that was five years ago, all of the gains in your IRA until say year to date, um, the 10 years of deals that you did, guess what goes to, guess what happens to those dollars? Bye-bye. Right. And you get penalized. Yeah. So by the way, uh, we put a link in the comments here to where you can look at some lenders who specialize in working with real estate investors and they all lend to legal entities. So if you're worried about borrowing money as a legal entity, don't worry about it. <laughs> there, there are plenty yeah. of lenders out there who, who are happy to work with you. All right. Last user question. This is from David. And yeah. David says, what should I be looking for in a multifamily management company in the 50 unit plus apartment complex range? Uh, okay. He says, I'll be investing long distance. Okay. Uh, long distance, uh, David, whether you're a domestic or international investor, one thing that they've done it before and they have in-house management. A lot of management companies will just be created. Uh, there's a two trends. One, if you have, um, uh, if you're an operator, you'll outsource your management. 
I don't necessarily believe that's smart. Uh, I had Joe Fairless uh, on my radio show. This was two and a half years ago, and he and I got into it uh, about, and I love Joe. He's a fantastic guy, and uh, what they're doing is phenomenal. Um, but he and I got into it with outsourcing management. I think controlling every part of your supply chain matters. So if you're going to be the GP and if you're going to actually control that 50 unit apartment complex, have in-house management because you can properly affect the dollars inside of management. Um, there are a lot of people believe that, hey, outsource this shit. You, if you do that, I'm gonna hunt you down and I'm going to <laughs> strangle you. Um, that's something that I would, I would, uh, I would act, absolutely look at. How do you tell a, man, a good management company from a bad one? One, ask for references. Two, walk the properties they're managing. Three, interview their staff. If they're friendly and nice and inquisitive and they have really good energy and vibes about them, you're pretty much golden. Like, yes, you have some other due diligence you'll probably want to do. You'll want to look at the technology that they're using. Keep in mind throughout this podcast, I've used the word technology at least three or four times. If you're kind of catching this drift here, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're not up to stuff on technology, spend, a, spend I was going to say a semester, spend a quarter. Uh, <laughs> you have time between now and the end of the year. Get up to snuff with the technology you want and need to grow and scale a business. But that's one of the criteria for me, right? Like if I'm buying, if I'm going to go buy uh, portfolio somewhere, I'm going to look at a management company that uses technology because I need my dashboards. Like my team will need dashboards to look at. If you're doing everything like on your phone in notes on iPhone, it's not a business. It's bullshit, right? Like how are you able to, yeah. how are you able to do anything? You can't scale worth anything. Uh, so that's something too. Technology, have they done it before? Um, get references, do they actually have in-house management? Like, as, an, as a management company, I've also now seen management companies outsource, man, outsource the management, which is like so weird. It's like, why would you, but that's, that's your business of managing properties. Why would you outsource your business of managing properties? This isn't, anyway, people drive me crazy sometimes. Um, <laughs> so if you find that happening, just I would, I would stay away. Yeah. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice in your answer there that a lot of what you propose that people do involves being there in person, you know, walking the properties that this, this company manages, you know, speaking in person to their employees. Um, so, you know, I, I thoroughly encourage people to invest out of state, invest long distance, um, but you are probably going to have to go and physically visit the city where you plan on investing, uh, at, you know, at least once or twice before you shell out tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars there. So. Anyway, just it's, piggyback yeah, on what you said. It's worth it. Listen, th you have zero excuse, right? Like here's, if you wanted to spend one day in a city and you're like, Abby, you're telling me you have to fly there. Yeah. Spirit and Frontier have less than $50 flights if you plan accordingly. One, two, if you get there early enough, your out-of-pocket cost is um, nothing to drive around because you would have the property manager pick you up at the airport, give you a tour and get, drop you back off. So that's easily arranged. Number two, they'll probably buy you lunch. If they don't buy you lunch, cool lunch is on you. 15, 20 bucks, maybe for lunch. And then a coffee to get you going throughout the afternoon. If you're like a do two or three coffee kind of guy or gal, <laughs> you're all in for $35 plus your 50, let's call it a hundred dollar round trip ticket. Um, 150 bucks. Get, get your ass on a plane and 
go and go through the motions and go meet people. Like, like I'm notorious. Plane. Yeah, like I'm notorious. Sorry, one thing. I'm notorious for jumping on a plane in the morning. Now, like Brian and I know each other, I'm going to go fly to him. We're I'm not in Brazil, so. <laughs> oh, I, okay. Well, all right. No, never mind. I'll figure out. So uh, Brazil is a country I've been dying to uh, dying to visit. So we'll make that well, happen at some point. Yeah. But like, let's say you lived in Miami or you lived in Orlando or you lived in Texas somewhere. Like I would fly there in the morning. I would meet you for lunch and I'd be back in Atlanta by dinner. Like yeah. invest that travel time because it shows people you're committed. Yeah. Or, you know, you can also make a weekend out of it. You know, take your spouse or your significant other, you take the kids, you know, go, go have a fun weekend, make a trip out of it. And then you can write it off. (laughs) So. Yeah, absolutely. And if if you're thinking, well, man, I don't really have a budget for this. uh, Then you know what? Don't invest in real estate until you do. It's that simple. There are a lot of folks that will say, well, you can invest with no money down, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you'll, you'll get to the point where you can understand some of those strategies, but you need dollars to invest. You need, Take 20, 25, 30, $40,000 and put that money to work. Put it to work and then have a little consistency <laughs> budget, 500 bucks. Like it's, that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, then hustle and go do what it takes. I, I don't like, we're so freaking lazy sometimes. Like not everybody listening. Of course, <laughs> you're, not, you're not lazy listening to this, but if you are lazy and you're listening to this, you know, make, make some changes in your life. All right. Well, speaking of hustling, I want to hear about what you are up to both with your Think Realty podcast and in the other sides of your business, because you have multiple businesses going. You are an author. You are a national speaker. You are a coach, an entrepreneurship coach. So tell us about you know everything that you're up to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so I have to preface this by saying I have the privilege of doing a lot because I'm surrounded by amazing teams. I can't do everything that I can do without their unconditional support. And I mean, man, like they, they run my life. Um, it's a recurring do, do theme in this episode. Yeah. You need to have, they, you need to have a team. You need to have a team. If you think you could do it all by yourself, you just can't. So the Think Realty podcast is, it's, it's great. It's, I love doing it because uh, we're actually going to change up the format. Uh, so Brian, I will let you know what that is. And I'll have you on the podcast in January as well. It's going to be, we're changing That's up great. a little bit. Um, usually it's been, good interviews with amazing people, but I want, I, we're switching it up to be a little more controversial. Generally, I, I'll record the podcast um, once every other month. And we've got this big like LED screen behind me. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So we'll have you on. It's, it's great. Uh, the point of that podcast is to drive home this idea that you can start here, that you can start here and you can end here. And the difference is less than what you think it is. It's not this entire scary monster of an animal that we believe wealth to be. Harvard, I think it was Harvard that did a study saying, all it takes is $70,000 a year for you to be happy. Now, happiness is, the, is a different definition. Many of us have different definitions of that. But generally speaking, it, you're not going to see a crazy increase in the quality of your life after making seventy dollars or $75,000 a year. Many of you might be thinking, are you kidding, Abby? Like I need at least $250 million in monthly (laughs) recurring revenue that's coming in. No, you don't. Okay, Warren Buffett. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, The second thing that I'm up to is uh, is a company called NP Hub. Uh, It's it's a company that I co-founded in 2017 with my really dear friend, Chris Chopra. Um, We started from nothing. 
We took on no investors, no angel, no equity, no partners, nothing. Zero. And today we have a team of 48 employees, half of which are wow. offshore. Uh, I think this year we'll be doing about 3.5 million in uh, in revenue. And uh, we we use technology six times. <laughs> we're using this five, five times. Uh, we built a proprietary technology platform to help the nursing industry. Uh, I, I'm a huge believer in uh, in registered nurses and nurse practitioners and the fact that they're the first responders and uh, thanking them is one of the best things uh, that I get the privilege of doing through NP Hub by helping them in their educational process. Um, third, uh, I work a lot with Streamline Funding based out of Austin, Texas. Uh, they are very near and dear to my heart. I, get, I definitely do see a lot of deal flow from Streamline, but at the end of the day, they wanted to build a major, like a massive LOS, next level technology uh, platform, which I'm helping them do. Um, I acquire businesses. Uh, oh God, I, I, that that probably, it'd probably take me about 30 minutes to list everything. But <laughs> one of my favorites right now is dental. Uh, I'm investing heavily in the dental industry and in the medical really? industry because I, I love it. Uh, we can have an offline conversation about that. But I mean, it's one of my f- absolute favorite industries to take a look at. And then you know, any SaaS platform that I find seems interesting. Uh, so, Brian, are you selling Spark Rental? <laughs> well, you know, make me an offer. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> so, you know, just, just stuff like that. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I, I love having conversations with people, not to sell them anything because, like, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything to sell. I'm not the guy that um, – I'm very selective about my coaching. I don't really like charging for coaching either. It's not even my thing. It's just let's – let's go on a 10 year run together. And uh, the last time I did that, uh, we ended up, we ended up doing fairly well financially. So uh, that to me is a lot of fun. I'm pro I'm an eternal entrepreneur. I'm always looking at stuff. I love doing deals. Yeah. You know, we all screw up sometimes. I've, I'm sure I've screwed up. Yeah. It's, it's part of the process, but do things that will constantly push you outside the boundaries of your comfortability. And now the uncomfortability becomes part of the circle in which you can play and your sandbox gets bigger and bigger. And whether it's a business that I'm buying or a piece of real estate that we're investing in, it just, it's truly, uh, it's truly a privilege to be able to take advantage of this, um, knowing that the teams are in place to help me do the due diligence, ensure the right people do the math, and then talk intelligently about it to whether it's the financing or just my wife. <laughs> I love it. Well, so Abby, where, where can people connect with you? Yeah, uh, guys, you can check me out if you want to check out the Think Realty podcast. Um, you know, thinkrealty.com slash podcast. You can find me uh, anywhere online at Abby Golhar. I write for LinkedIn. I've been writing a lot about technology on LinkedIn recently. Um, you can follow me. I think I'm writing two or three blogs a week on LinkedIn. I've got one or two blogs a week on my, uh, on my domain, just my own uh, website, abigolhar.com. I'm starting to rev back up on Instagram. I just lost interest because I've, I've been just really busy on the private equity side of things over the last two and a half years. And so I don't know, uh, you, just find me, find me, email me. You'll find my email. I, it's me responding or it'll be uh, my team responding. So we, we've put links here in the comments to thinkrealty.com slash podcasts and abbygohar.com. So, I mean, thank you so much for joining us today. This sure. was a lot of fun and uh, we, we hope to have you back sometime soon. Of course, you got it. I'm looking forward to seeing you, seeing you in Brazil, maybe in the next uh, couple of months. Let me see what Please. I can explain.
Come yeah. on down. We'd be happy to have you. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Did you know we offer a free eight-video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the flip side. Yeah.